We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Tiffany Shunyu Wen, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Spectrum Labs and also the General Manager and Co-Founder of Oasis Consortium. Let's jump in and get to know Tiffany. Tiffany, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled that you're here. For our listeners that may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing today with Spectrum Labs and also the uh, Oasis Consortium? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer of Spectrum Labs, which is a venture-backed company which builds AI for online trust and safety. So in other words, we help major platforms across social media, dating, gaming, ad tech, to really provide the solutions to minimize their online toxicity. So things like sexual harassment, racism, hate speech. So Spectrum Labs offer the technology solution and the Oasis Consortium is the nonprofit that I co-founded last year to solve the governance piece of the online toxicity issue. Excellent. I want to come back to that in a little bit and your career path, but tell us a little bit about where you were raised and where were you born? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I was born in Shanghai, China, and I finished my bachelor degree earlier and moved to Paris in France and did my master's degree there. And to then I was mainly specialized in diplomacy, international relations. I always thought that I would go back to China to become a diplomat and mm-hmm. specialized in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. So that was uh, all my study was about. What changed there? (laughs) As I often said, life makes more decisions for you than you make decisions for your life, right? Once you got off to China, you are exposed to different perspectives and experiences. I was still very passionate about Sub-Saharan Africa as a market. However, I thought there might be other ways to really pursue my passion about understanding the region better and making a difference in a more pragmatic way. So I started my career as an investment banker with one of the biggest French banks, which are very kind of prominent in sub-Saharan Africa regions. So I spent years investing in oil and gas, metals mining, renewable energy projects across Africa. Then I moved to Singapore when the renewable energy markets took off in Southeast Asia and then uh, built almost the the first renewable projects for the region across Malaysia, India, Singapore, Indonesia, etc. Then somehow I discovered that AI can make a difference in the energy world when Google launched the news about how AI can actually optimize data centers. So I took my MBA and came to the US, learned everything about AI. And once you took your but in AI, then that's the wild west, right? I think you know applications are way bigger than energy. A few folks took chance on me. I joined a big corporation, Salesforce.com, managing their AI product management development, and met my current team who were just acquired into uh, Salesforce. And then years later, they left to build Spectrum Labs and asked me to join them as their chief strategy officer. So that's a whole story. Oh, that's cool. That's exciting. China, Paris, 
Singapore, US. How do you think all of those places really have impacted who you are and you know your identity today? Yeah, I think I've tried really hard to always keep being multicultural. And it excites me to, to be exposed to two different cultures. The more different a culture is, the more excited I get to be. That was the reason why I travel a lot. Uh, not only just being a tourist, but being a real traveler and really dig deeper into different cultures. But uh, truth to be told, when you, when you change countries so often, you know, three, four years, you know, each round, and move from one culture to another, which are vastly different. I have identity crisis once every three, four years too. <laughs> so I think my North Star is to make sure I have the aptitude, cultures in myself, and really develop an appreciation for humanity, which is more common than, than we all think, cutting through the, the skin colors, the language, and the genders. Where do you think you learned that from? Yeah, I think. One is by sheer experience. Mm. When you grow up in China, <laughs> when you grow up in an environment, I'm pretty sure on this podcast, you must have had guests from very similar cultures. You definitely have heard about the tiger mom, tiger parents stories. Right? When you grow up in a very traditional family in China, you know my first 18 years are very one-dimensionally focused on subject matters, you know, my, my first 18 years were written in physics and mathematics and Chinese literature. Then you pull that girl out of China right away into France, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where, you know, suddenly your world is, is opened into theater, a different world of literature. All the dinners were about politics, which, which are very different from the politics you heard in China. Right. The liberal thinking and the freedom of speech in that country is so drastically different. Mm. Then you put that girl, you know, I spent, you know, years investing and traveling across Africa and South Asia. Yeah. Then you suddenly see, hey, you know, there, there, there's a whole different world where people actually simply struggle with having electricity. Mm. Not mentioning the luxury of thinking and literature having ambition to work within a biggest corporation in the world. And then you came to the U.S. after emerging markets. And my first stop was San Francisco when I started working after MBA. And all what they talk about was tech. By sheer experience of being exposed to so different experiences Mm -hmm. and how people just simply care about the things which were mainly designed by their legacies and their environment you just appreciate better the core of the commonality of things, right? All people are families. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody needs a safety net. Those things don't change, even though people might have different ambitions and different goals just because they live in different places in the world and was told and taught in different ways. Tremendous perspective, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And and Tiffany, making the internet a safer place and brand safety seem to be passions of yours right now. Why is that the case? Why are you so passionate about making the internet a safer place and, and brand safety? Yeah, first of all, I think we're in a very messy and muddy time in evolution of the internet. You might have heard about the term of Web 3.0. 
in the sense that we are, I won't say we are towards the end of Web 2.0, but personally, I, I believe so. So when Web 3.0 is upon us, in other words, you will see the rise of IoT, the Internet of Things. So the devices are so distributed, we have to put people at the center for the privacy. And we also see another trend, obviously, for the metaverse. You probably also heard about it. We all migrate online, right? I don't know if you read Ready Player One. So where everybody's connected through console into a virtual world, which is a book and a movie uh, written by Ernest Klein. However, in that virtual world, it's quite dystopian. So we're migrating into that world. And I think the third trend is a semantic web. So Web 2.0 allowed us to be connected through the social networks. We created so much user-generated content. And then we use that content to make AI to understand our emotions, our decisions. And soon enough, this content that we created in Web 2.0 would become the upstream data inputs for AI to make decisions for the future. So when you see those movements of the rise of IoT, you see the migration to metaverse, and then you see the semantic web that will allow AI to make decisions for us. And then you realize how we just lost the trust completely in Web 2.0. We don't have privacy. It's not safe in the metaverse. And there's no representation that semantic web. We say, oh, oh boy, like we need to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're just like a huge abysmal this trust issue right now, it just excites me to say, hey, it is the time, or maybe it's the last time in human history for us to set some guardrails. It's like an uncharted territory for me to get into. So it definitely excites me. Just as much, I think 10 years ago, when I tried to build the infrastructure for emerging frontier markets, it was uncharted territory. But at the same time, it presents a huge opportunity of the impact you can make. So it reminds me of the feeling back then. But back then it was in the physical world and now it's in the virtual world. Yeah, I hear that. And I think as as you were talking, I think about sort of on one side, there is sort of like the rules and regulations around the internet and and how all that comes together and holding companies accountable. But on the other side of it, there is the sort of like, educating the everyday consumer of the internet as well too and i feel that you know most people that go on the web really don't even understand you know 1% about what you just talked about right and there needs to be a growing level of education there and i'm curious to know from your perspective like how do you see those two things sort of coming together because it seems like a very 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 challenging task Oh, yeah. So first of all, you're totally right. This issue is so paramount, yet so few people understand it mm-hmm. and are aware of it. That said, the numbers show us a different story as the real experience people uh, experience. So over 40% of U.S. Internet users have reported to be harassed. The gaming industry, you know, over 50% of the gamers have reported to be subject to hate speech. The truth is actually almost, you know, the majority of the people who are in the metaverse are really suffering from the issue we talk about. It it is disheartening, but at the same time, that means when we educate market, there is a population who can emphasize with it. Mm -hmm. So, and I think another thing I want to mention to your point 
how you evangelize it, how you actually democratize the knowledge to individuals. I think a lot is in the storytelling. You know, this conversation I'm having with you or a lot of conferences and the podcasts that I'm doing partially to just explain, you know, the issues at hand. The more people are aware of it, the easier it is for me and for the organization I'm with, Oasis Consortium for Governance Spectrum for Technologies, to really democratize the technology and the governance to corporations when you have actual pressure from, from the public. Mm-hmm. So a lot of evangelism work is much needed. So I launched the podcast called Brand Safety Exchange, where I interview the vertical leaders from dating, gaming, social network, ad tech, marketplace to talk about their challenge, why things are not changing at all, even though we're aware it's a big problem when it comes to trust and safety, what they have tried worked, what they have tried didn't work. So that when new expiring trust and safety leaders come into the space, they have somewhere to listen into and then learn the best practices. But also I try to explain the topic in the most personable way possible. Once I've learned in my life was that, you know, it's impossible anybody emphasize with anything that they didn't see or hear before. So even just to see that through different media for people to be aware and even heard about this term and notion, I'm pretty sure will set some good foundations to do great work and push this movement forward. Gotcha. And one more question going back to, I think you mentioned 40% of people reported being harassed online. I'm curious to know, is there a demographic breakdown in that in terms of, is there one group that stands out more than others? Is it higher for women than it is for men, younger people versus older people, different ethnic backgrounds? Curious to know if there's any breakdown within that data. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. So one more data to also add to this, to your point. In the gaming world, for example, I think the estimate is in the next 10 years, over 50% of the gamers will be people of color. However, people of color and more genders, I mean, women and non-male genders, right? I mean, those are the targets for cyberbullying and racism and hate speech. So absolutely people of color and more genders are usually the targets. Interesting. Tiffany, I want to ask you about your experience working in a couple of different industries and then also being in, you know, a lot of different countries uh, over the past years. What's it been like for you personally? Have you encountered sort of experiences of, of discrimination against you as a woman or also as uh, someone not from where you're visiting. Uh, yeah, and I think very often the biases are unconscious. Mm. I would say that's one thing I've learned. I don't think people necessarily who expressed the biases were intentional, but it's actually more dangerous when when the biases are unconscious. Mm. So my first job was in Paris, and the the whole team are specialized in investment in Africa, yet the team was basically over 95% French and majority male. The only two people of color was me, 
from China and the other lady was Nigerian. Mm-hmm. So working that environment, my education back then or when I was younger or less experienced to do with biases and discrimination was simply to, just to top up. It's just to make sure you fit in and to make sure that you explain things with data, you double down the work, you work harder to make sure you deliver. You just try to fit in. And looking back, there was a lot of distraction. If you think about it, if you need to, as a woman, as a person of color, you have to spend so much energy to fit in, to explain mm-hmm. things to a person who simply didn't understand you, not because what you said was not valuable. They didn't listen to you simply because they came from a different background. They speak a very different cultural language. The way to shift the way you think and shift the way you speak to fitting them was such a distraction. And if I could have used that energy to focus on my work, I'm pretty sure life would have been much easier for me. But I think in early days, I just decided to top it up and not talk about it. I think as I grew older and had more experience dealing with situations and also had just more appreciation what biases mean, when you see enough different cultures, I think the approach has changed a little bit. I would say the stronger way to react to biases is actually bringing the biases and impact of biases to the table, just surfaced issue and being very transparently talking about it. I can emphasize with it when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Simply, it was harder for me to do that. You didn't have the experience. You didn't have the guts to do it. And when you when you grow older and more experienced and you have a lot of baggage to prove you're actually knowledgeable and competent, then you actually can do that. I just wish I could have done that earlier because very often people are well-intended. They were just not aware of the biases they are having. So ha- having transparent conversations was a shortcut just to solve issues like that. If things pan out not the way you want, after you have that conversation of biases and the solutions you want to deploy to solve it, then you have to find your own tribe. Find the people who actually can appreciate your perspectives, your aptitude of cultural backgrounds, because you really can minimize the distraction folks on the things you truly want to do. Yeah, it's interesting. And we hear it from so many guests about how the way to handle that was to work harder, work faster, deliver more. You know, it's an interesting thing to take that energy as you just described. And if you could take all of the extra time and energy it took to do that and shift it right back into the work, things would have been just kind of perhaps different, right? Absolutely. Um, Thank you for sharing your personal experiences with us. I'm curious about you know, some folks that have helped you along the way in your career. Who are some people that worked with a young Tiffany or worked with a Tiffany even today that have been helpful in your career or personally? Yeah, interesting. My early part of my career, my father was uh, was quite an inspiration for me. And especially when I left my home, when I encountered setbacks, misunderstanding because I was different. I think a lot of philosophies he 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 had or taught me got me through a lot of early days. Can you give us one example of maybe some of the philosophies he shared with you that were helpful? Yeah. 
people have to be willing to make decisions. So if you want to change other people's minds, you can only offer options to them. You should not actually expect them to change minds just because you said so. You can offer options, but don't set expectations for yourself that they will change minds just because because you said it. Also, I, I think I briefly mentioned just now, it still like sticks with me to today, is that no one can emphasize with what you say if they never, never experienced that before. People don't believe what they see. They only see what they believe. So I think those kind of principles allow me to understand how to change people's minds. You cannot present things which are too distant from what the person actually knows or hears of ever in their life. You have to spin and shift what you want to achieve in a way that they actually can emphasize with and leave the decision to the person. The, the more you push, the less possible you actually can achieve your goal. Mm. Fundamentals like that were very helpful to navigate through different cultures. Later on, I think I really have, oh gosh, I think my career was basically designed and determined by a couple of key people. Uh, I often feel that the people you meet and encounter in your life have more impact than what you actually read from book, the the college, the the degrees you you take, mm-hmm. just simply because they they threw a random dart in your life, just because they share a different experience. If you admire them, if they're willing to help you, they bring you to a different course that you would never even have sought yourself. One person, for example, when I came to San Francisco, obviously. I was accomplished in investing in emerging markets, but I was nobody in the US. It was just very new to the AI world. I had no clue about product development. So back then with the VP of a product at Salesforce, a French gentleman, now he left for DocuSign and, and went back from San Francisco to, to Paris. But he took a chance on me. And I think once later... After the first months I worked with him and delivered my first projects, I felt it was a good time to ask him, you know, what the heck, why did you even take chance on me? Why you have so many other candidates? Mm-hmm. I, I still remember his response was, you know, if you have been a hustler through your life to figure things out, no matter which environment and the culture and the task you have in hand, I trust you can figure a product we do here. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, for a successful product manager, it is important to learn something fast. I proved that. It is important to make relationships with engineers, with designers, with all stakeholders. And apparently, if you have a good cultural and relationship aptitude, you can do that. So if you can learn fast about a topic, and if you understand how to manage relationships, you probably can do the job. And at the same time, you have an advantage over your peers because you know many things they, they, they didn't know. So I think absolutely an instrumental person in my life who actually shifted me from energy investment into, into AI operation. My current founding team, you know, Justin Davis and Josh Newman, the two co-founders, obviously took chance on me, right? You know, mm. you know when they start a company, bringing on someone who were back then still were quite new to the industry and say, no, I trust you. Not only you can be a great attack operator, but also to be 
a cultural builder for the company. I think, uh, you know, to their credit, it's their vision to believe in me to not only build a strategy for the operations, but also to build a strategy for the diversity, equity, and inclusion, which will make the company more sustainable over time. That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. What are you reading and what are you watching and listening and how are you staying informed? What are you consuming to sort of stay informed in, in your world of business? Oh, gosh. Allies, actually, people. I, I do believe a network of the people, which I call brain trust, mm-hmm. is actually the best way for you to get authentic information and get you informed in a way to have your unique uh, perspective. Especially in today's time, there is way too much misinformation. The journalism quality is going down. You have to make your own judgment and your own opinion on the things you truly care about. A diverse group of brain trust is my number one go-to. So the people who are invited to the podcast, some of them are from the brain trust. I just want to bring their voices to the public. And I think a number two, is documentary. I do love documentaries a lot. And obviously, since the pandemic, there is a rising focus on how to solve this misinformation, how to bring news and brand safety to the internet. And there are more yeah. documentaries around this topic. So yeah, I think documentaries are great. I'm on the policy committee for ACM, the Association for Computing Machinery. They have a great magazine with the best computer scientists you can find who write about the latest developments in in tech world, the hard science. I love it. It keeps me grounded and connected to to the science and the technology development. Tiffany, what what advice would you give to anyone that is looking to either take the next step in their career or maybe looking to shift to go to a different industry? I mean, you've been successful in moving up in your career. You've been successful in terms of shifting from one industry to another. What advice would you give to anyone out there listening that is maybe thinking about doing something similar? Yeah. First of all, have the confidence that you can do it. I have so many conversations, people who reach out asking this question. And often what is on their mind is the self-doubt because they think if they change a career, if they change a region, they have to go back to square one. Have the confidence that even it is rocket science, you can learn if you put your mind to it. Not mentioning most of the disciplines and careers that I've seen. When I hire, it just is what I mentioned, what my mentor back then, Olivier, did for me. I look at the true attributes and the qualities of the person and what they did in that life, which demonstrate those attributes will set them for success rather than exactly what they did similar to the job scope. So have the confidence to start with. I think that's number one thing. Once you decide you do it, it's half of the job is done. And then I think the second uh, most important thing is finding your tribe. Again, it's very, very hard for anybody who doesn't have my experience to say what I said, because they very likely want to find somebody who actually had 10 years of experience doing exactly that. Mm. Right? So finding your tribe who can understand you, take a cultural perspective, take a... Um, aptitude perspective. By that, what I mean is 
don't fit yourself to the job just because you did that thing. Fit yourself to your recruiter or fit yourself to the team because of your culture, because of personalities, because of your attributes that will make you succeed for the next chapter. Find your own tribe and speak their language. That is, I think, the number two most important thing to do. I think the third is, you know, you know, being Asian, I, I can I can state that I always truly believe in hardworking ethics. For any new subjects, when somebody says, Oh, you know, how did you shift so quickly on that topic within two years? We say, Yeah, I spent probably 10 times more time than an average person to read about topic. All my weekends was actually reading about it, meeting the people who are the luminaries in the space to learn from them. And then try by error while nobody was was watching. And then when I go to a conference for the first time, I'm actually as knowledgeable. So I think a lot of hard work behind the scene will help you to catch up very quickly. I, I love what you said there because you know, in your in your first two points, that's all about sort of making sure you are being who you are and bringing your own sort of diversity of thought, your own culture add to the situation and not trying to fit into what's already there. And then the third point, super, super important. And I, and I love that point about like really being a student and practicing your craft and really doing your homework. I, I truly appreciate and, and love what you just said there, Tiffany. Great stuff. Now, fun question that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is to tell us what the top three apps on your phone that you use outside of email, calendar, or text messaging. Ooh, um, Peloton. <laughs> I don't want to be too much... Uh... I'm I'm a big Peloton user, so you yeah. Oh gosh, I'm addicted to exercise. My best ideas for business all come from my exercise time, maybe shower time. But I really start every day running or exercising and then getting ready for the day. So Peloton for sure. Number one app that I use these days, HBO. Gosh, I'm a content sucker and then they do great job, especially recently on documentaries. And both apps, I love them a lot about. I didn't talk about earlier. At Oasis, we have three pillars. I call it privacy by design, safety by design, and the third is representation by design. So those are the guardrails. I want people to bake in their design phase in company building, AI building, etc. And representation by design is how you actually pump more diverse content upstream mm. uh, into the internet. Because if it's bias in, bias out through AI, the only way to unbiased web is to have more content which are created on and off scene by the Black founders, AAPI founders. And I think HBO and uh, Peloton are doing a fantastic job to, to move the needle right, uh, right now. What's a third that I use uh, very often? Oh gosh, um, so I recently joined a private network for women leaders called Chief. So I usually really just check that app to make sure if there are incoming connection requests and also what are the latest events are about. There's definitely a rise about gathering the women leaders together, gathering people of color leaders together to, to really make a change. Actually, that's probably number three app I'm using quite often these days. 
Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And just so you know, and the audience knows, is that we are going to have a founding member of Chief on the podcast in the future, Chelsea Peters. So small world. Small world. world. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of small world, how can our listeners stay in touch with you so that we can make the world even smaller? (laughs) What are are some ways that the audience can follow you or find you? Yeah, I'm quite responsive on LinkedIn. So if you just search my full name, Tiffany Xingyu Wang, and just connect with me, if you have any questions, I'm quite responsive there. Definitely follow Brand Safety Exchange as the subject matter expertise podcast. I receive questions I always answer. So yeah, I think the LinkedIn and the Brand Safety Exchange, we have subscription and reach out form if you have questions specific about this topic. And these are two places I'm, I'm very responsive to. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us, Tiffany. And everyone, thanks again for listening. If you want to find more episodes, just go to where you find all of your audio and video and search for Minority Report Podcasts. Just look for the logo. Thanks. 